this day in 1990, Rod Stewart marries New Zealand model Rachel Hunter in Beverly Hills. The greatest day in New Zealand history. Proud, proud moment for all Kiwis. You know it, you know it. They split in 1999 and Stewart said that he was devastated when Hunter left him. I was a rock star. Yeah, I was a rock star. You don't dump a rock star, he said. It knocked me for six. He reportedly lay on the couch for four months, clutching her hot water bottle. (laughs) Jeepers, creepers. Uh, what's, that's what it says here, after Rachel left him. Although Rachel said, in the nine years we were together, I'd never done anything for myself. If you'd asked me then what I liked or I didn't like, I wouldn't have been able to tell you, and I didn't even have a hobby. Wow. Well, her that's hobby sad. was Rod. Well, getting married very, very young, eh? But uh, nonetheless, nine years, uh, and uh, it happened on this day in 1990. It's so not those supposed- trumpet ads have got a lot to answer for, haven't they? <laughs> I just think... Um, it must be hard having a large age gap relationship because what would you talk about? How would you fill a day-to-day when there's such a generation gap? It'd be like talking to your granddad every day, but it's your husband, you know? Well, it's not that bad. I can speak for myself. Have you been in a large age gap relationship? I am in one. Tell us about it. Yes. Tell us about it. And my wonderful bloke is nearly, well, around about two decades older than me. Yeah. And he's the most Fun person I've hung out with since I was a kid. Do you talk to him about the war? What? What? No. <laughs> what do you? What do you? What do you? Can we you, can go you and play um, loud music on the beach, and uh, <laughs> we go fishing and hunting. Okay. All right. Thanks to you, Sally. Tomorrow's show will be dedicated to age gap relationships. If you are in an age gap, yeah. uh, and how does it work for you? I want you to email me the panel at rnz.co. .nz and let me know this how is, it works. You're playing with fire here, Wallace, because is, is it going to be all old dudes and young women? Like, is this going to be creepy? I want to I hear some old woman and young dude relationships I as well. I want to mix. Oh, but, I've heard of a few toy boys. Yes. Um, but 20 yes. years, I'm going to be honest with you, if I may, mm. 20 years is quite an age gap. It is. He's very fit, Wallace. <laughs> all right, let's move on. Eh? <laughs> Wallace uh, just gave a, a, an interesting look on his face. I uh, loved it. Someone says, uh, a rare bit of feedback, rare bit of good feedback for you guys. Sally and Guy, excellent partnership when it comes to panel discussions. I'm, my ear is pinned to the wireless. Oh. So there oh, you go, both. Really nice. yeah. It is 25 to 5 of the panel RNZ National. A lot of discussion about this already today. A crucial council meeting was somewhat overshadowed by Mayor Wayne Brown spilling detail about the future of Auckland Airport and discussing the future of airport shares. Wayne Brown said the airport company was planning a major capital raising to fund a new domestic terminal uh, which could dilute the council's current 18% holding to 10 to 11%. Uh, but um, despite mentioning specific figures, Brown's office claimed he was just speculating. Auckland Airport uh, has uh, had just told the NZX it had no plans for an equity raise and has no announcement for the market. So that's what was discussed today, including many other things. And yes, the rates rise for Aucklanders. Simon Wilson has been there. He's a senior writer for the New Zealand Herald. Simon, kia ora. Thanks for um, being on today. I know it's been a very busy day for you. Hi there. No, look, I'm just, I spent the day with the person that some people think I'm in an age gap relationship with. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, well, that's tomorrow's story. But today, this is quite something, Simon. Explain the stand up. What happened? (laughs) 
So it's the big council meeting, a uh, big test of, of uh, Wayne's Brown, Wayne Brown's proposals for the city. Uh, he's putting his new budget on the table. Um, he's not asking for the budget to be passed. He's asking for it to be approved to go to con- public consultation next year, which is step one of a six-month process um, that happens every, every year. Um, and... During one of his proposals is that um, Auckland sells its shares in the Auckland Council sells its shares in the airport, and he just casually, as you mentioned before, he just casually mentioned that he uh, that that the airport itself was going to uh, be in the market for money soon to uh, expand and to uh, build a new domestic terminal. Um, that caused. <laughs> that caused a suspension of trading on the stock market, trading of the airport shares. Extraordinary thing. He didn't realise he'd made a mistake. If he'd said, uh, you know, if you look at the whole thing, you, you've got to figure that at some point the airport might want to uh, be raising capital to do to develop it, what it does. And, you know, if he was just idly speculating, it wouldn't have been fuss. But he wasn't idly speculating. It sounded like he knew something. Uh, it sounded like he was revealing information that should have been confidential, which he has since denied. Did you pull him up on it? You discussed, and how did that um, how did that go? Well, actually, Councillor Chris Darby pulled him up on it. He asked uh, pretty much straight away, was there any information the mayor had? And the mayor said, no, he didn't have any special information. And he said, and Darby asked if, if the airport company itself had made the announcement about this. Uh, and and uh, Wayne Brown said, well, he was just, um, you know, if you just look at it, it's pretty obvious it's going to happen. But uh, it wasn't later in the lunch break uh, where uh, just before the lunch break, his office put out a little note saying, there will be a media stand-up, which is the conference they do with the media, and we're not going to talk about that. Uh, but, of course, every journalist there, and there were a lot, uh, that's what they wanted to talk about. So Wayne promptly, immediately, uh, lost his temper and started shouting at the journalists. <laughs> okay. Right. Goodness. Gosh, uh, so... Uh, Sally. So his shouting at the journalists, was it yeah. in response to specific questions, or he was just went into like a rant mode. Can you describe yeah, it a bit more? Well, well, yeah. So Yvonne Tahana from TVNZ was the first out of the blocks and she asked uh, basically what he meant by that and was, you know, the, the tenor of the questions was, uh, are you embarrassed about this? Do you think in hindsight you, um, this was not wise of you? Um, and he was up, he was angry because as he then shouted, he say, said, we just had a 20 to 1 vote passing my budget. That's never been done before. Uh, this is an amazing thing. We've got this really big deficit we're filling in. It's extraordinary. Uh, and in fact, he's wrong about that too. We, they, they didn't pass the budget. Uh, they, um, they supported it going to consultation. Um, and it's very common. Um, that stage of the process is normally unanimous or nearly unanimous, so it wasn't record-breaking in any sense there either. Uh, but he was angry at being challenged, I think. He was angry. It was just that simple human thing. Uh, he'd made a mistake. It was embarrassing. Uh, he didn't want anyone talking about it and, and, and certainly didn't want them talking about it in front of TV cameras, which did happen to be there. Wow. Okay, I can't wait to see the footage of that. Um, Simon, I, I'm suffering from a bit of whiplash here as an Aucklander. The previous mayor seemed to be acting like everything was fine. Wayne Brown's coming in and going, I've opened the books and it's a shambles. We need to sell the airport. Is Wayne Brown creating hype so he can pass like cuts and sales or, or is there really a problem there? I, I'm, I'm struggling to tell. Well, the previous, the previous mayor did have a gap in the budget that was going to have to be filled 
Yeah, but the gap is quite a lot bigger now, and the reason is just simply inflation. Council's costs, including the cost of its borrowing, have all gone up, um, and so it's now a $295 million gap that they have to fill, assuming um, that no further financial shocks come along next year. Um, so that's, that's the reality of it. And what he's proposed is a, a mixture of uh, approaches, uh, a rates rise, uh, which is 7%, but net 466 because he doesn't want to spend some of the environmental targeted rates that exist, uh, which is going to be controversial. Uh, selling the airport shares will be very controversial. Uh, he wants a better return from the port, but it's not clear how that could happen, so that's controversial. Um, and he wants to cut spending. And there was quite a lot of debate today in the council about how that would happen. One, one councillor, Justin Bartley, said, why is it that it's always community groups and the arts uh, that look like the easy things to cut? Um, and that's so the what, way to look Simon, at it. so what sort of things are potentially going to be cut in the community? Well, my favourite little one was that they're not going to mow the grass as often. So it actually worked out that they can let it grow another 25 millimetres before anyone <laughs> I was going to measure that. <laughs> right. I'll volunteer. I'll, I'll be a council consultant yeah, yeah, measuring the grass. That's the bottom end, but at, at more significantly, uh, transport fares, public transport fares are going up. Uh, there'll be are they? Yeah, 6.5%, which was a decision made by the Auckland Transport Board this month, but it's in line with instructions from council to fit into this budget. So I thought he'd fired that board. Ah, no, he hasn't. <laughs> okay, um, what I heard from that, Simon, I've got to be honest with you, was um, the 7% rates rise, and I think um, some of us winced when you mentioned that. Um, people uh, listening to this may be driving home, whatever, that'll be... Uh, represent, uh, again, uh, a big layout for households? Well, as I say, it's 4.66 net, um, 7% on the ordinary residential. But, yeah, Brown himself is saying it's less than inflation, and so that's a good thing, and and I think he's probably got a point there. Um, But it is, you know, there will be less environmental spending, uh, as I said, less on public transport. Um, A whole lot of work's going to be deferred, um, and that's just um, the way of it, and around town, uh, community groups, um, economic start-up support for uh, people starting up businesses in Monaco, there's a council's got a good program going on there, that kind of thing will be cut back. Um, Was there anything positive, anything that ratepayers and locals might be pleased with? (laughs) It's tough times. Um, I think probably what ratepayers should be pleased with is that um, pretty much around the Auckland Council table, in spite of there having been an angry election campaign, there is a very strong sense of we can work together to get through this. Um, So they're not standing and throwing things at you know, and corners throwing things at each other. They actually are trying to work together. That's pretty impressive. Before you go, um, can I please bring this up with you while you are here and while... Um, journalist Sally Winley, she has been uh, on the panel and part of her I've been thinking was to what degree do we require uh, our representatives to front? And Sally was saying in the 25, 26 years that you've been interviewing people and asking for um, mayoral um, interviews, no one has not got back to you, but there has been one that, that is Wayne Brown, Simon. So to what degree do you think it is important that someone like a mayor 
needs to front to the media and do a one-on-one interview with key shows like, for example, Morning Report? Oh, well, I'm, I'm pleased to say that Sally and I are in a, are in a not very exclusive club. I mean, I'm not <laughs> pleased to say it really, but um, <laughs> we do have a mayor who doesn't like talking to media and we saw the reason why his mind is keeping him away from us because when he does come out, as he did today, um, he just kind of does the wrong thing, says the wrong thing. And that is the reason he's not talking to us um, because they're not sure that he's going to be able to um, behave himself really it's a it's a great shame but he, but he does have a responsibility media are asking questions for the public you know he's got to be able to front really so it's a morning report of course it's um the herald it's tvnz it's tv3 um it's stuff it's it's everybody in rnz sure the whole of rnz i mean <laughs> this is how it works isn't it you know politicians have to go well this is what we're doing and why and what do you think and Take questions. Hey, Simon, kia ora. Appreciate your time on a uh, busy day. Your thoughts on that. Do you think that um, uh, our representatives have a responsibility to front or actually do they not? Uh, Is it entirely within his rights to actually go, you know what? Nah. Uh, 15 (laughs) to 5. It's all a secret. It's all in my head. Don't worry. You'll see the results. The panel, RNZ National, we have Guy Williams and we have Sally Wenley today to a completely different topic, a study has found that some primary school teachers are modifying their methods in the classroom due to what's been labelled maths anxiety. The research looked at the personal histories and professional lives of 12 primary school uh, teacher participants, each of whom said they were already maths anxious before they got into teaching, and have found that those who experience this sometimes limit their teaching to junior classes to avoid complicated mathematics and spend long hours preparing for less math lessons. With us is teacher educator in the Bachelor of Teaching primary program at EIT, Te Pukenga, Julie White. Kia ora, Julie. Kia ora, Kia ora. How are you going? I'm very well, Julie. Thanks for being with us. Quite interesting here. And look, a small handful of participants here, but nonetheless, this is an issue as we know. Give us a definition of maths anxiety. What is that? Um, it's there's the they people with math anxiety or math teaching anxiety quite often have a low belief in their ability to do math, um, and it impacts the the anticipation of being involved with mathematics or um, in teaching mathematics or mathematics activities, um, and also being uh, they they sort of. Um, uh, they're not able to think clearly around the maths that they're working with. Mm. So in your research, I, I see it says one participant participant wasn't able to work out the basics of 7 plus what equals 10. I mean, should this person be a teacher? Um, it's an interesting question, and it's important to remember that that, that was only one example. Um, but I do believe that given the opportunity and the support that is needed and required, then that person may actually turn out, um, may develop to be an amazing math teacher. What, what sort of support do they need? Um, I think it's important that um, teachers themselves recognise and acknowledge maths anxiety so that they 
they know that they are experiencing it. Um, so a greater awareness of maths anxiety is essential. Um, there's a focus on children national, uh, internationally, but there's not a lot of research around in-service teachers and mm. none prior to um, my doctorate. But <laughs> they also need to recognise that, um, that, that that awareness actually has to be um, developed in school and classrooms so that or the wider teaching community and then maybe an opportunity then to, to, to discuss the positive and ne- negative experiences of teaching mathematics and perhaps a, um, a staff meetings and also discussion around so what were some good practices that occurred in the classroom and what were some difficult ones so that there's there's actually discussion about it. There's a greater awareness, and it's not only teachers that need that greater awareness, but it's lecturers and teacher educators and ITE that need that. Oh, okay, so wider than that. Yeah. All right, uh, yeah, go Sally. Julie, do you think that this anxiousness from the teachers could potentially be passed on to the students as well? Um, research says, um, international research says that that is the case, um, and it's more likely to be between uh, passed between female teachers and female learners, um, and yeah, it, it's been described as an intergenerational cycle of of anxiety, and it, and it while while it's intergenerational, we think of Farno, but actually, teachers and children keep cycling around as well, mm. so. Yeah, they, they Here's an interesting observation, Julie. I've got a text here. Yes, yes, yes to this. The best teacher is a teacher who struggled with the subject themselves, which is an interesting um, uh, way to look at it. I'm not quite sure if that's uh, correct or not, but it's certainly a, uh, an idea. Uh, that, that's true. And sometimes they have those that have struggled with maths have a greater understanding of, of learners that have difficulty with it, so maybe more patient um, and... Um, not be uh, not embarrass learners that are that are struggling. Lovely to have you on, uh, Julie. Thanks for um, enlightening uh, that for us. Uh, that's Julie White there, who is a teacher educator in the Bachelor of Teacher Primary Training. Yes, Sally, how are you? I just have a confession about maths. Right. In secondary school, I made it to fourth form, which is year ten, and I got eighteen percent for maths. I sat at the back of the class and did absolutely nothing. Is that good or bad? I can't tell. And I'm so my bad at maths. teacher actually got so frustrated with me, she cried. Oh, oh my sorry. goodness! I just my brain just switched off. Yeah. And um oh, and now I get a cold sweat when I have to add, and I have a teenage wow. daughter. And during COVID, and when she had maths questions, I got really anxious. So I empathise with these teachers having to do it all day, every day, when they come from a background which is not, um, well, not being strong in maths. Um, yes. Gosh, thanks for sharing that. That's quite extraordinary. Yeah, um, 18%, that's, that's not... Poor. That's poor. That's disgusting. Using, using my maths, not, I was quite good at maths, and I can just say right now that is, that's poor. And my brother's an accountant, so... But you've worked out, you've worked out fantastic. Not everyone's good at maths. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give yeah, you the money later, guy. Okay. <laughs> Gosh almighty. And in terms of math, how do you feel now? In terms, of, Does that anxiety still stay with you? 
Yes, it does, but thank goodness I have my phone with my calculator. But I feel really self-conscious and embarrassed when my daughter needs help with maths. But that's just the way it is. We work around it. Now, on age gaps... Quite a bit of response. We're going, we'll do age gaps tomorrow. Okay. Uh, I'm with a t- guy 20-something years younger than me. Oh, nice. Sorry. Sorry, I should and, have my microphone <laughs> muted for that. <laughs> and we have a fantastic relationship. Oh, we have been I together bet. for 10 years, which is long by most standards, and that has really confounded the naysayers. He is handsome, he is talented, and clearly prefers the company of older women. Oh, Lovely. I just always think it would be like the generation gap, like when you talk to your grandparents or your parents. There's like a there's a conversation issue there where you just don't understand each other quite as well because you're so far apart. If you're, you're such a stereotyping person. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, if you're in an age gap relationship, email me, the panel at rnz.co.nz. We discuss that tomorrow on the back of Sally Winley's 20-year age gap. Now, throughout COVID... Everyone has to get used to the sight of their own four walls. And many, there's been periods of intense social isolation. So as a result, are we lonelier than ever? Kathy Combo used to volunteer for Lifeline and said that many people would call up not because they were in crisis, but because they relied on it for human contact. Kathy, kia ora. Good to have you on. Kia ora. Nice to be here. That really, I mean, that, that really struck at the heart of me, actually, you've got mm. a, um, a life. Uh, you've got a resource, very important resource called Lifeline, and not calling up for crisis, but for human contact. Yeah, as some people just really are don't have anybody, and really to just have a place to connect was very important. Um, and that's what led us to develop Loneliness New Zealand, a trust that was dedicated to loneliness. Wow. We discussed this. This is Kaz Carter's I've been thinking a few days ago. I said that we've got to talk about this. And so I think there was an article which mentioned, you know, you might have a large group of Facebook friends that you can chat to and send memes to. But could you text someone last minute and say, hey, I'm in the area, want to catch up for a cuppa? And I thought, gosh, do I have anybody like that, Kathy? And I, I think that many people would be thinking that. Yeah, it's actually quite sad how many people feel that they've only got one or two, and a few with none. Um, and when we, the research shows that actually, for us to feel not lonely and socially connected, we need three to five people in our close circle. So um, three to five, take, you know, making friends takes time. So we've got to work on it constantly. It's quite a lot, actually, Sally, when you think of good, good friends, having three to five, it's quite a lot. Well, not necessarily, but I feel that people just rely on social media, as you say, Cathy, to keep in touch and then Ah. get a bit complacent and then actually don't bother as much. And then people could potentially disappear out of their lives as such. Do you see that? Yes, uh, people people disappear for lots of reasons. Sometimes the friendships go wrong, but other times people move away or um, just life changes. People die, you know, a whole range of reasons. So um, relying on one person, you know, it's wonderful to have a really close friend or to be in an intimate partnership with somebody, but to rely on them for your sole um, social needs um, is really uh, uh, challenging for them and for, for you. So, yes. 
don't relying uh, social social media has a wonderful place, but not to have all your meaningful relationships put into there. Asking for a friend, what do we do to combat loneliness as a person in the modern world? <laughs> um, asking for a friend. Well, work on getting a friend. That sounds a wonderful thing. <laughs> um, loneliness is actually about expectations, what we, um, how we perceive people. And when, when we're in short-term loneliness, it drives us to go and find and connect. And so I really believe that, um, you know, using any opportunity. Most friendships start with being strangers. My, well, my current best friend started, I met her on a bus. So it's, oh. it's connecting wherever you can and joining groups. You know, you've got to put yourself out of your comfort zone. Meeting someone but, on the bus and connecting with, that's wonderful. Yeah. Do, do just like do just like random interactions with people. Like I talk to the guy who runs the dairy down the street every time I go to get uh, toilet paper. Does it does that count as an interaction, or is that is that not enough? Fantastic, and mm. um, I'm going to hope that you're leading by example. What you're looking for is, um, uh, you know, to develop that. I mean, I'm sure that you, you hopefully would go more than high, you know, when you next meet, and you sort of like start having some sort of way of connecting. And so, it's loneliness is about the meaningfulness. And so, I see loneliness is a, sorry. Yeah, I see loneliness is considered a global epidemic. And in the UK, they've appointed a minister for loneliness. Yes, Do you think there could be, a, could there be a role for that um, ministerial position in New Zealand? We have been advocating as Loneliness New Zealand. We have been in touch with the government. Um, you know, each country has different um, needs. But when we look at the New Zealand situation, what is really sad is we don't, we, at Loneliness New Zealand, we don't think of it as an age issue. We think of it as um, or people already vulnerable. So people, uh, you know, so who have, who have uh, you know, sort of issues that they're struggling with already. So when you put hmm. that together, um, yes, there is definitely a place to um, help alleviate that. Very good. That. Minister for Loneliness and Aotearoa, hey, Kathy Kambakura, thank you for your time. Guy, Sally, you've just been fantastic. Afternoon, I really appreciate it, and Thanks I mean it from the bottom Wallace. of my heart. Thank hey, you. Merry Christmas to you, by the way. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas to you. Good. Merry Christmas, New Zealand. Merry <laughs> back tomorrow, three forty-five. Checkpoint next.